Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, I have Nate Trushkovic from Slovenia back. He has been analyzing the war in Ukraine. Today, February 24th, is the one-year anniversary of the beginning of the massive invasion of Ukraine. Of course, the whole war started in 2014, but the big invasion happened in 2022. So here we are looking back, reflecting on some of his predictions, which he was incredibly accurate. When most people thought that there was going to be a quick victory for Russia, he was predicting the opposite. And he was right. And so I have him back to reflect on most of his accurate predictions, as well as the one that has not come true yet. The one that he predicted that Vladimir Putin will get ousted in 2023, sometime in the first half of the year. So that right now looks like it's not going to happen. Let's dive in with Nate's and see what he thinks now. Very few people at that time were predicting that Russia was going to get their ass handed to them or at least struggle. And Nate's predicted that. He said, look out, you know, everybody thinks that Russia is going to have a quick victory. It's not going to happen that way at all. And so, Nate's, here we are one year later. You were right so far. Um, there was a lot of chaff, a lot of uh, foggy area back then. Uh, so people who were interested in the topic were really hard-pressed, you know, to really discern what is good quality information, what uh, are good uh, analyses, and what, uh, what was not so good or even false. Um, so I was right. Uh, I was uh, on spot in, on who to follow, who to listen, who to believe. And uh, yeah, so don't give me too much credit, please. But yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, okay. When, I'll, give all when, the I'll give all the credit to Putin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> your your right-hand <laughs> <He was>, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my friend <laughs> from Moscow. <laughs> he was able to basically single-handedly destroy whole of Russia and just with just one... <laughs> you know, decision. One special which, military operation. Just, now, there's one big prediction that you made that so far has not come true. And time yeah. is running out for your prediction to come true, which is that mm -hmm. sometime in the first half of this year, 2023, you would see Putin ousted, kicked out, whatever. One way, either violently or somewhere or another. Silently so far, course, he yeah. looks pretty entrenched. He looks pretty entrenched. Mm -hmm. Are you going to revise that prediction or are you going to stick with it? I suppose I can stick with it because the the whole situation, the whole setup is very fragile for Russia and for Putin. It's getting more fragile uh, as the time goes by. Um, I don't think he can, with all the measures he have put in place um, in his power structures, uh, by preventing, you know, immediate... Um, power mongers uh, amongst his clans uh, to overthrow him. I still don't believe that he's able to survive this. He's a very cunning, he was a very cunning politician, very sturdy one. He managed to outlast many of his opponents. Um, but I still think that his chances of staying in power are getting slimmer. Then again, uh, I might have been too eager in saying how long this will take for him to be removed or deposed or killed or whatever. It might take more time, but I think that when Ukraine uh, manages to go on a proper counter-offensive, and this might happen in uh, in uh, late uh, spring or in summer, um, war analysts say that uh, 
summer uh, Ukraine offensive is more likely to happen than an early spring, uh, late spring offensive. When this happens, Russia has no chances of uh, holding on to what they uh, hold now. And when Crimea is directly threatened, uh, because Crimea has such an important structure of uh, how Russia should look like, I think that his, uh, his ground will shake immensely when this happens. Uh, Ukrainians don't have to really occupy Crimea. They just can, you know, um, enter from the Zaporozhye area and get close enough to the Kerch Bridge to be able to bombard it, to, to, to make it uh, unsustainable for the traffic. And then Crimea will be uh, basically cut off from all the supply routes because the main supply route that goes uh, via the ex-Ukrainian land uh, is a train route which uh, will be easily taken with Ukrainian forces. And when that happens, Crimea is then cut off and then bombarded uh, immensely by Ukrainians. And this is when uh, problems, big problems start. And the Russians are making another um, strategic mistake by placing just um, not such high quality reserves there. Um, the biggest, uh, the big quality um, military they have are basically the paratroopers, which were able to hold the Kherson front for so long. When Ukraine went on the offensive, um, their progress, Ukrainian progression was uh, basically slower than what was predicted to, to happen. And this was because uh, Russia uh, managed to position this high-quality paratrooper uh, army there, which um, fought violently, if you can say so, uh, to de with delaying actions and managed to uh, basically save a huge chunk of Russian army, which then was able to retreat across the river uh, from the Kherson um, uh, town itself uh, to the other side of the river safely. This was done basically mm -hmm. uh, very, very elegantly and very, uh, very good. Uh, this you can give to Russians, you know. The way they withdrew uh, with such low losses, they managed to do quite a feat there. Um, so, yeah, the Russians are not, definitely not um, a pushback, uh, but at the same time, every possible element is still working against them. So it's now it's just the time, you know, how long will it take for complete Russian collapse in Ukraine? Um, I was quite eager in the beginning that, uh, you know, in it could happen quite early, so I was right in when I predicted that Kherson will fall, that uh, in the northeastern part uh, Ukraine will make big gains. Uh, I also predicted, and this was a bit uh, wrong on my side, that uh, on the Zaporizhia area uh, Ukraine will also be able to gain some ground, but they didn't uh, manage to do so. Uh, but uh, imagine, I mean, now the whole of Western world is basically united in supporting Ukraine. Uh, NATO is gaining much more uh, much more bigger uh, strength and unity than it had before. Um, more and more weapons will flow uh, inside of Ukraine. The biggest uh, unknown thing at the moment is if the war progresses past the year of 2023. When we are talking about 2024, there are, of course, um, uh, 
the whole question is USA. What will happen with the elections there? If Republicans win, uh, then uh, there might be a huge problem for Ukraine. So Ukraine and Russia, they both have uh, quite a time time pressure. Uh, Russia needs to outlast this year. Ukraine needs to push them out this year. Otherwise, problems start. Are you and I going to be talking in 365 days from now, talking about the second anniversary of the war? So I predicted that uh, the war on Ukrainian land, the major war, um, uh, will end more or less in the autumn this year. Um, so the big Ukrainian uh, offensive will probably push Russians uh, from most of their uh, holdings. Um, we'll see about the, all the next uh, territories of Luhansk and uh, Donetsk and of Crimea itself. Um, there is a huge political pressure on Ukrainian leaders to also take Crimea, uh, which is uh, in which is not so clean cut um, thing to do for Ukrainians from the Western point of view. Uh, while Lugansk and Donetsk, uh, we'll see what will happen. But uh, the gains that Russia uh, made in 2002 on Ukrainian lands will be probably lost this year. This is my prediction. Um, as for the war being able to um, freeze in a, like a frozen conflict like it happened in after 2014... There's also a, a slight chance for that to happen, but uh, the chances for Ukraine to oust uh, Russia out of its uh, occupied land is much more likely. If you and I were Russian, maybe we would be talking about the exact opposite things. We'd come to exact opposite conclusions because I'm always mm -hmm. questioning our sources and always skeptical yeah. that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe we're, we're being fed the wrong story. I mean, is there any possibility that you're wrong? Of course there is. And that maybe, <laughs> you know, that the sure. Russian propaganda, the Russian perspective is actually right. That, you know, that, hey, we're going to tough it out. We've got a much more mighty industrial complex. Yes, we got our asses yeah. kicked. But just like we came back in the second and the great patriotic war, we made a comeback. We're going to make a yeah, comeback yeah. here and do the, the same thing. Uh, no, uh, I don't think so. I think that Russia has depleted all their aces in their sleeve uh, they don't have much less left uh, they have they are ramping up uh, their uh, war production immensely but again as the last time uh, I said that they are really dependent on outside uh, world which cuts all ties with them with the exception of, of course Iran which pro uh, prompt up the um, uh, cooperation with Russia and now China is heading more in that direction so if China stays more or less um, uh, on outside, at least neutral and not um, backing up Russia with high-tech technology, uh, just, you know, it's proven that China has been already selling all sorts of stuff but uh, to, to Russia, uh, military stuff, but this is not high-tech stuff. It's more or less just uh, lower tire ammunition and stuff like this. Um, because, you know, China, on the other hand, is hard-pressed not to lose uh, the Western markets. Then again, they also have um, a crazy dictator who, uh, if, I was uh, laughing once, uh, well, making a joke once, that if he, he has a dream about Mao showing in his dream and telling him, yeah, you can attack Taiwan, you will be victorious, he will do it because he's also as, as um, detached from reality as Putin was when he made the, the order of the attack. Because, I mean, 
although the Western, many Western analytics said, uh, an, uh, analytics said that, yeah, well, um, Ukraine will fall in three weeks. Uh, everybody knew that Russia cannot win this. Maybe they can win the conventional war, but they could never win the war that would come after they would take Kiev. And this is, uh, you know, all the partisans fighting the insurgency. It would be just such a crazy gagmire and they would never be able to, to really take hold of, of Ukraine the way they imagined. Um, so, yeah, you have, again, um, Xi Jinping, which is... Um, who is, uh, you know, deranged enough to be able to make the attack. Uh, there are many on, on Taiwan, there are many um, signs of him preparing to do so, but um, there are many checks and balances still which are preventing him to do so because uh, China is so dependent towards the outward and Russia cannot do much to China. Uh, all the... All the uh, oil uh, and gas lines that were created throughout throughout the decades of uh, you know cooperation between the uh, Soviet Union and uh, then Russia and U uh, the rest of Europe cannot be just done in a few years uh, and just change the, you know the everything to flow towards China this is just not doable of course, the Chinese are known to be able to work on huge pro projects very fast, but they are also known for very crappy projects which uh, turn into a duster just after a few years. So with uh, Chinese, it's oftentimes about uh, saving the face of how they look like uh, on outside, but the reality is quite often quite different with Chinese. And in, they are quite similar in Russia in that uh, the corruption is wrecking havoc on all parts of their society, also their military. Um, so I wouldn't bet that... I wouldn't be so sure that they would be victorious in the war if they decide to take on Taiwan. Last question, Nate. Maybe yeah. putting on a more cynical, conspiratorial hat. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. some people will say that the West loves this because this is a great way to drain Russia of all its resources and make Russia go on this never ending war and just it kind of sucks the blood out of them. And by the way, it keeps Ukraine weak because, of course, they're losing lots of infrastructure and lives to yeah. this stuff. And and it drains both populations, both Ukrainians and yeah. Russians who are fleeing and the most intelligent ones, all the computer programmers and IT specialists mm -hmm. are moving to the West to, to mm. start working in Poland and the rest of Europe and, of course, the United States. And so mm. this is a brain drain for them. And yep. who benefits from all this? Well, the West, especially the United States. Yeah. And so this is something that Putin might allude to that, hey, you're trying yeah. to cause the destruction of Russia. And, you're, yeah, that's, and they're going to drag out. His, uh, and that's why. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Right. And that's exactly mm -hmm. why the United States just says, we'll give you 31 tanks. Okay, and then after a few more months, all right, here's two planes. All right, here's a couple of Patriot missiles. You know, just <laughs> just enough to kind of keep them alive and yeah. fighting and keeping a stalemate, but not enough to really just hammer Russia and end yeah. this war quickly. You're and making so a some people have got to look at that. Yeah. What do you think? So, um, historically speaking, when U.S. was providing weapon support to countries which uh, needed weapon support and other economical support. It was oftentimes made that uh, it was just trickling just enough, you know, to get the country floating, the, the country that was receiving that. Um, 
it started similar in a similar way with Ukraine, uh, but you have to remember that NATO and US and uh, Western allies are trading a very delicate balance of how much support is too much support, which then starts a nuclear war. Uh, because uh, when Putin is feeling, you know, really uh, w uh, with his back pressured on the side of the wall, that he has no other um, option left, he might, you know, go for the most radical solution because he has nothing else to lose. Um, so, yeah, it's a delicate uh, balance. Uh, if you analyze how much stuff was flowing to Ukraine, you can see that it was very delicately being, delicately being ramped up. And a lot of stuff that was not publicly made uh, clear was already flowing to Ukraine, even before it was publicly announced that it was already there. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that many... Critics of Biden are uh, are saying, you know, Biden was not uh, decisive enough. He should have sent more stuff sooner to Ukraine. Uh, but, you know, what if? <laughs> but so far, <laughs> Russia has proven that all the red lines that they have uh, set up uh, didn't hold. So they were moved. So the... the the red lines are constantly moved and Russia is moving them because they know they don't have much uh, options. Um, they, they made such strategical blunders. It's incredible. It's, I think it can really historically be considered one of the stupidest war ever in, done. Because also if, uh, if by some ideal, ideal um, situation Putin would uh, be able to take hold of Holy Ukraine and uh, uh you know he would still strategically lost <laughs> he he uh, russia was on a kind of a good way of progression but uh because everything started to settle down after 2014 um things started to open again second uh, stream uh was almost opened and then putin decides uh to attack ukraine he he made such an incredible blunder it's he basically single-handedly destroyed Russia for a few generations. Um, they cannot, you know, get back from what happened. Yeah, it's so terrible. <laughs> it's just so... And imagine, I mean, I've, I'm working at school where um, I have kids uh, from Russia, from Belarus, from Ukraine, and they are friends, you know. They are friends here while their relatives fight and die in Ukraine. All wars are tragedies and many of them are yep. stupid, but this one definitely is incredibly stupid and incredibly, incredibly tragic. Stupid. Um, yeah. 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 Well, yep. Nates, uh, I hope to not see you on the second anniversary of the war, but <laughs> we probably will be talking again. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> Thank you. And that ends this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? 
Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. Thank you.